Truth Espresso, episode 193. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Well, hey there, this is Daniel Minnick, the host of Truth Espresso, and I finally decided to do another Truth Espresso Express episode. It's been a while. I know that we haven't been at a loss for topics, especially in the news, in politics to cover, but uh, I don't know. I just, my brain has just been um, vacant, <laughs> I guess, for a while to be able to do these as frequently as I'd like, but I figured... With one of the major news items, one of the major policy items that just happened yesterday as of this recording. So I'm recording this driving to work on Thursday morning and Wednesday. uh, President Biden announced a student debt relief program that will cancel up to $10,000 in student loan debt. Uh, For those making about, uh, I think it was $125,000 a year or less. So it's another one of these wealth redistribution schemes and also kind of this superstitious idea from many politicians, but mostly from those on the left, um, like from the Democratic Party, that seem to think that education, in quotes, education, especially that provided through some kind of government-sanctioned educational institution, that it's somehow the key to success. Like, if you just go get some education from an approved educational institution, then that therefore improves you as a person and guarantees that your life will be so much more successful than if you didn't do that. And in particular, this is college, this is universities, (laughs) but one would think that the outstanding uh, student loan debt of $1.75 trillion, I believe, and I just read about that last night, (laughs) that a growing student debt would signal that somehow this educational system has not proven sufficient to enable people to uh, be smart enough, like to make enough money and to be smart enough to handle money and to be able to pay off debts. We should see the debts getting lower as they're getting paid off rather than increasing. That shows that either there are more people entering college than there are those paying off debts 
or also those who are entering college are not being equipped to pay off those debts and I'm going to have uh, some thoughts about that too. But President Biden showing his compassion and love for all these um, young people and even some middle-aged people who are still paying off student loan debts thinks that the problem is the debt and the solution is debt forgiveness. But I would argue that the problem is not the debt itself. The problem is the cause of all these debts and the solution. If we want to get to a solution, we don't nibble around the edges. We don't treat the symptoms. We find the root of the problem and we treat that. We don't just uh, paper over or treat the solution, uh, the symptoms, because we could, in effect, uh, make things worse. So in addition to granting up to $10,000 of student loan forgiveness and also uh, up to $20,000 for Pell Grants, this program would also uh, maintain the pause on uh, student loan debt payments until the end of the year. Now, <laughs> raise your hand if you think that that's going to be the end of that, that finally after extending and extending, that this will be the end of extending and there won't be campaigning um, for extending that indefinitely, kind of like a backdoor to paying off all student debts or relieving, you know, kind of like a backdoor for student loan debt forgiveness and a different wage by just making them not have to pay it. Uh, perpetually. So, on estimate, the cost of this, because there's no free lunch here, but the cost of this kind of program for, for giving uh, this meager amount of student loan debt uh, is about $300 billion. So does that mean that the president, out of the goodness of his heart, is going to dip into his own pocket and pull out $300 billion and forgive student loan debts? Well, of course not. You know, that's not how it works in politics. It's all about making promises on behalf of unnamed, unwashed masses. You know, basically, they, the big they, trademark, they will pay it all or somehow we'll just soak it on the rich who have nothing better to do with their money than to put under a mattress or so, and they will somehow pay for it, and so it's justice, you know, helping out the poor and so on. And we know that this is just kind of the beginning because um, this is like a drop in the bucket compared to what a lot of progressives have pushed for, even for years Progressives have pushed for far more than this, anywhere from uh, free community college, like basically get two years at a community college for free and then transfer your credits into like a, a state university or so on to uh, free bachelor's degrees are also known as free college you know like anyone should be able to get a degree get a four-year degree for their livelihoods for free that somehow this would improve the economy and and think that somehow uh, people getting the skill and making more money and contributing to the economy would have spillover effects that would essentially pay for the college itself 
you know, that there's really no cost to it, and that why we don't have that is just people in high places who just don't want to part with more money than they have need for, and they want to soak it to young people. And then we have people who want a complete and utter uh, total socialist system for everything, and that all education and all needs should be subsidized, like everything is basically free, which ultimately results in, you know, kind of a, a full communist system where everyone is equally poor. But now, let me get to some points, let me kind of get an outline for the problems that I have with this and any other scheme that would try to do student loan forgiveness of any amount. Why is this uh, $10,000 student loan forgiveness program a problem? Why is it not all uh, a bowl of cherries? Why is it not rainbows and unicorns as it would be made out to be by those who promise that it's you know, a good thing really for everyone? Well, almost everyone. Well, first of all, number one, it's fantasy. By that, you know, as I stated a little bit earlier, there is no free lunch. And I know that, you know, unless they've been just living in fantasy land themselves, a lot of politicians know behind the scenes that what they're promising doesn't tell the whole story. They want the masses who would benefit, or at least allegedly benefit, to think that really it is free. And, you know, and if they think that, well, yeah, we understand that there's a cost to it, but that cost is somehow absorbed easily through people who actually have lots of money and have nothing better to do with it. And so it's just money sitting idly doing nothing other than just making rich people even richer. And so it's better for the economy to pay for the education of um, people uh, especially those who have these crippling debts so that they can then move on with their lives and then the alleged skills that they've acquired in college can then benefit society instead of just going to pay the coffers of the debt holders. But there is no free lunch. All output of labor has a cost and the question is who pays for it? And then that's what we're going to see now in Point number two, theft. <laughs> so first of all, this program is based on fantasy. Second of all, it effectuates theft. So what does this do to pay for the debts? As I said, uh, some people might suggest, well, the government can just print the money. They could just borrow from the Fed as they do for everything else. What better thing to do than to pay for things that we can see, like student debt loan statements, rather than things that we, we don't see it as much. We only hear about, like, infrastructure out there somewhere. Well, there's a point there, but... Um, this, like many other programs, promotes theft because it steals money from frugal behavior uh, to give to flagrant behavior. So in other words, how does it pay for this? 
Well, it pays for those who got into debt and have trouble paying it off by taxing from those who were frugal with their money. So people who didn't go to college and who didn't get the alleged benefits from college and those who are in the the blue-collar class and those who are maybe even found themselves you know in white-collar class from not going through college not getting into debt not getting student loans they were frugal they had to work hard and save up money they're trying to save for a rainy day they're trying to save for retirement maybe they're trying to save for college for their children or such But it takes from them because that's what spending programs do. It always results in a tax. There is no way for the government to spend money without taxing first. The tax may be a direct tax on your income or it may be an indirect tax by deficit spending which results in more interest payments on the deficit and ultimately results in a tax burden that's passed on to average Americans. It transfers money from those who work hard and try to save for a rainy day to those who borrow for delusions of grandeur. And, you know, many of them who think that the world owes them a living to, uh, you know, to give them a nine to five job to philosophize. Because now this gets into how much of this debt, (laughs) much of this debt The reason a lot of this debt isn't getting paid off as much is because most of the debt holders are actually graduate degrees. So, you know, graduate degrees can often cost more than undergraduate degrees. And the reason a lot of people get graduate degrees is because the undergraduate degree that they got isn't cutting them, isn't helping them out in the marketplace. So when you have things like underwater basket weaving or, you know, more realistically, uh, programs like sociology or philosophy. Now, there are people I know who've actually uh, taken the philosophy degree that they have and have become entrepreneurs with it. Shout out to uh, Carrie Baldwin of Mere Liberty, um, who has taken upon herself to be kind of become famous in uh, kind of libertarian Christian circles and push herself to make uh, philosophy programs for people to subscribe and pay to learn philosophy. She was also on the John Stossel program to talk about uh, the issue of abortion. And so, yeah, there are people who take philosophy and use it as an entrepreneur. And that's how to use philosophy. If you're not lucky enough to get into teaching at a university, then you have to be an entrepreneur because almost no one is given a nine to five salaried position to philosophize. And that's one example. I want to take other examples such as sociology or stereotypically gender studies. So most of the debt is held by people who get into these programs and especially then graduate school because you get a degree in sociology an undergraduate degree you graduate you find that now you have debt 
and you don't have a job for it. You're working at Starbucks. Uh, you're working at McDonald's. You're working at Walmart and such, and you're having a hard time paying it off. And so you think, well, that was a waste of time and energy and money. How do I rectify this? Well, I'm told that nowadays. <laughs> graduate degrees are the new undergraduate degrees. So now, to be worth anything in today's marketplace, I need to get a graduate degree in sociology, and so uh, those cost a lot more per credit hour, and you find yourself in a lot more debt to get a master's degree in sociology. And then you find out that no one is hiring sociologists, and all the uh, good ones are taken by the uh, corporate media. And, and you know, you could start a blog, but you got to compete with all the other bloggers. And if you're not, if you don't stand out in the marketplace, and you're just a vanilla sociologist, uh, you're now even in far more debt. And you've got to pay off that debt with virtually no more job prospects than when you just graduated with that undergraduate degree. So most of this debt is held by people with worthless degrees, proportionately less debt, you know, and proportionally more of it's paid off by people who get degrees in like uh, engineering or uh, computer programming, such like that. So. The root of the problem, that's one of the roots of the problem, is are we subsidizing young people to get degrees that don't help them pay off debts? If the practice principle is vital for teaching such morally neutral tasks as tying shoes, how much more important is it for training children in Christ-like character? This is Yvette Hampton, host of the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. Join us each week for a new episode as we offer encouragement and resources on biblical discipleship from popular speakers and authors, as well as parents just like you and me. Find out more at schoolhouserocked.com or listen anywhere you find your favorite podcast. And so that leads into the third point I want to get to. So the first one was, um, it's a fantasy. There's no free lunch. Second off, it's theft. It robs from some people to pay for the debts of other people. And the third is the moral hazard that such a program creates. It encourages bad behavior. It doesn't encourage frugality and uh, thoughts about future planning. It encourages um, spend now, borrow now, um, pay later, let me not calculate how much I pay because the government's got my back. So uh, more young people will likely go to college who really shouldn't, and we know that that's an issue today. But now such a, uh, any kind of student loan forgiveness program equals as a college incentive program because it makes college more attractive. It makes it seem like it's going to be less expensive, and it's going to stimulate yet more young people to go to college. It's going to increase the demand for getting a college degree. And does that automatically increase the supply of colleges? <laughs> well, of course not, at least not in the short term. So what do you think's going to happen? As it increases enrollment in college for the promise that some of your debts are going to be forgiven, it's going to 
increase the cost of college because now you're going to have more students in college, more um, <laughs> demand for college. And when you have more demand and not equally as much more supply, the cost is going to go up. And that's something that a lot of people are not going to uh, talk about when they're making promises about the benefits of student loan forgiveness. <laughs> and along with that, the stimulating more people to go to college, it's going to stimulate more people. You know, if it's going to stimulate more people to go to college who haven't thought things out, it's going to stimulate them to go to college for things that might seem more attractive that I talked about earlier, it's going to, it's going to create more sociology majors, more philosophy majors, more gender studies majors, more liberal arts majors and art history majors. It's certainly not going to stimulate people to go to college to major in engineering, something that is more obviously likely to pay off the debt, to be worth enough to pay off the debt. It's going to encourage people who haven't been educated. Yeah, with all the public education that they've been getting, it's not going to, uh, that doesn't teach them about the value of the marketplace and how to, you know, contribute things that actually people demand. You know, no one's demanding a liberal arts graduate to hire them, you know, in a nine to five salary job to liberal arts. Um, or, you know, art to teach art history. And not many museums have openings to hire curators who majored in art history. So we're going to get yet even more of those majors because way too many young people, unfortunately, their schools, their even a lot of their parents don't understand and they just tell them go to college and make something of yourself but not understand that not all majors are created equal and they're gonna you know go to college to major in creative writing and different kinds of liberal arts degrees that don't market um, demand all because college is now cheaper and this is a problem now, but it will become even greater so that more young people believing that college is costing them less or that the costs might be subsidized in the future by someone else, you know, uh, Big Brother, Uncle Sam's going to take up the tab. They're going to be subsidized to live it up while they're in college. Those four years are going to be four years of more partying, more vacations, more buying cars on loans because, hey, student loans, they're years away. And then they find themselves even in greater debt problems. And finally, universities. Uh, finally, uh, for moral hazard here, universities are going to be incentivized to raise tuitions. What, do you think universities are just going to, you know, out of the goodness of their hearts, pass on that savings to the students, especially as the demand for enrollment is increasing? Of course not. The student 
uh, loan debt forgiveness is, is only going to benefit few people. Because as students are going to enroll because of this, tuition's going to be higher and offset that forgiveness. So while they might get $10,000 forgiven off their loans, their loans are going to be, I predict, <laughs> at least $10,000 more expensive. And so <laughs> more incentive for college more debts we're going to see debts balloon even more so and yet and the politicians are not going to look at the root of the problem which is government subsidized student loans and such and um, perverse incentives for people to go to college and get into debt and not major in things that are uh, actually benefit uh, the economy themselves but they're also going to find that, you know, this student loan debt forgiveness is not going to mean anything to them. So there will be less benefit to anything positive that could come from a college degree. Increasing costs of earning a living to pay for ever-increasing debts means that the value of a college education will go down. More people will have a college degree. The value of that college degree will go down. The value of it goes down because now, once you have to earn a living, um, you're taxed more to pay for debts. <laughs> and so the value value of that to you goes down because the more you earn the more you're gonna to have to pay for debts and whatever skills you may have acquired that possibly you think might allegedly benefit you uh, will net you less money because you will have to work harder to pay for other people's debts and your own cost of living and now, of course, in concluding this, I want to um, look at, I read an article uh, last night uh, from a Christian on Sojo.net. Uh, he talks about how he actually paid for his own debts, but he hopes that the president forgives. So this was before the announcement. This was earlier in the month, and he um, says that he's a Christian, and he believes that student loan debt forgiveness is biblical. And one of the passages he brings up, he talks about Jesus, the Lord's Prayer, saying, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and that somehow that's, uh, you know, modeled by student loan debt forgiveness. And then, you know, that's talking about sin debts. It's not talking about frivolously borrowing for college, having the government provide the loans, and then having the government force people uh, to pay for it. <laughs> But uh, let me address the Deuteronomy 15 mention. So Deuteronomy 15 talks about, in Israel, this was the uh, forgive debts every seven years, the sabbatical year. So it would seem that it'd have a point here that America, you know, any kind of, of debt forgiveness program or, you know, kind of socialized debt program in the United States doesn't go far enough because the Bible presents that every seven years all debts are forgiven. Well, I want to say that this does not justify the student loan debt forgiveness scheme. Now, it would if the 
if President Biden, who proposed this program, himself was the lender with his own money, and if he reached into his own pocket and pulled out $300 billion to forgive all these student loans, and they were indebted to him, and they owed it to him, then, yeah, sure, you can derive that principle from Deuteronomy 15. But first, this was specifically Israel under the Old Covenant. I do want to mention that. Now, I'm not saying, oh, anything that's Old Covenant doesn't apply today. No, what I'm trying to say is that, that what enabled this particular scheme is the specific covenant for Israel, the Old Covenant, that God had uh, provided them. So they had to obey the law. Um, they had to obey God's commandments. And he, in turn, said he would bless them. And a lot of it would be supernatural. Like he said that he would control the weather. He would um, make the harvest plentiful in, her la- in their land. It wasn't just some economic karma. Uh, God specifically promised that he would supernaturally provide if they did this. Another point is that they were family, the the families of Israel, and they were to treat each other as such. So it's really not a good idea if, you know, say a father gives his son, uh, you know, a loan uh, and charges high interest and wants him to repay it. Families should treat each other as family. They should meet each other's needs and be different from non-family. So, as I said, God would supernaturally ensure the weather and harvest would be good if they obeyed. It was not a natural economic loss for success. The United States is not Israel, is not in a covenant with God, and so... (laughs) You know, God's not going to supernaturally make things work in this scheme that is nowhere mentioned in Scripture. There's no such thing as, uh, you know, a government student loan for college in the Scriptures by which uh, forgiveness of that loan in Scripture would somehow be beneficial for society. Deuteronomy 15 is no defense of what amounts to theft and coercive wealth redistribution. It's a tax and spend thing. It's a tax, it's a borrow and spend thing. And uh, those who would object to it are not getting any say in the matter. It's theft and coercive wealth redistribution. Deuteronomy 15 doesn't support socialized debts. There are no third parties in Deuteronomy 15. Um, Those who gave the loans, uh, those who lent out, are those who forgive the debts. There's no third party subsidizing the loan. It's not subsidized by taxes. Those who lent out uh, had the money themselves to lend it out, and they had the money themselves to forgive it. It, it, there is no government-sponsored student loans or any kind of loans in Old Covenant Israel. There is no uh, loan subsidized by borrowing. Proverbs talks a lot about borrowing the borrower's servant to the lender. So no government-subsidized loans, no taxpayers on the hook for lending out money in um, Old Covenant Israel. Those who lent it out had the money, earned the money themselves to lend it out. They chose to lend it out, and they choose to forgive it according to God's law there. 
there is simply no parallel to uh, student loan forgiveness and the loan program, the federal student loan program that we have in the United States today. There was no public government in Israel that had any parallel to what we have today, uh, from which 18-year-olds can get easy, ever larger loans to major gender studies. Now, can you find a parallel to that in ancient Israel? There was no public tax uh, trough to cover such debt forgiveness. So what about forgiving debts? Our natural debt will get bigger from this scheme. It keeps on getting bigger. There was no public debt in Israel. There was no uh, deficit. There was no government deficit. You cannot possibly make a case from Deuteronomy 15. Let's not forget to mention that Deuteronomy says that you may... (laughs) extract interest from a foreigner, but not from your own uh, family, your own countrymen. It also says uh, in verse 6 that I have here, because I parked, it says, For the Lord thy God bless thee as he promised thee, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, but thou shalt not borrow. Thou shalt reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over thee. So, (laughs) those who are proposing this, The United States currently borrows from many nations and doesn't really lend to them like, you know, Israel here. It says, thou shalt not borrow. Um, Yeah, but we have the biggest debt. We have the, we borrow the most of any nation in the world. So if you want to follow Deuteronomy 15, (laughs) the United States is doing the opposite. And so what about, okay, so if the Federal Reserve is the one who is lending this, the, the debt, why isn't the Fed obligated to forgive these debts? Why is it the taxpayer has to do that? Yeah, let's apply Deuteronomy 15 more consistently, more according to what it says. Why aren't foreign bondholders obligated to forgive debts to us for all this profligate spending? Yeah, there's all kinds of questions raised, and Deuteronomy 15 is no justification for a socialized, government-sponsored, tax-and-spend, wealth-redistribution, disincentivizing frugality and hard work, uh, living on a fantasy, functioning on debt, and moral hazard creation system such as this student debt program here the student loan forgiveness program so I'd like to say in passing now to sum up student loan forgiveness is not biblical forgiveness thank you for waking up with truth espresso good morning and God bless your day Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.